No She Didn't is a new podcast produced by a husband and wife team. They focus on the forensic psychology aspect of true crime and criminal investigations. Each week a new podcast will be released on Fridays discussing a true crime case and how forensic psychology played a role in the investigation. Hello and welcome to the podcast. No, she didn't. We are joined by our host, Ali Shaw. She is a current forensic psychology student at Grand Canyon University. She is joined by her husband and favorite sidekick, Jamie. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey guys, my name is Alicia and I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast, No She Didn't. I'm Jamie. I'm the other co-host of No She Didn't. <laughs> and we are actually going to spend some time with you today to tell you a little bit about ourselves and why we are doing this podcast. Um, I am currently enrolled in Grand Canyon University. I am pursuing a master's degree in forensic psychology, and I'm also a student in the Death Scene University, um, which is administered by Darren Dake. Um, Darren actually has his own podcast, and that podcast is called Coroner Talk. I mean, it's actually one of the only podcasts out there that uh, speaks from a coroner perspective. So um, he does some amazing work. Um, his death scene university is actually something that just a common everyday individual can go ahead and sign up for. You can take monthly courses um, and you can actually obtain CE hours or credit hours for future work. Um, so it's a really neat uh, process that you can go through with him. So I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to him for being um, a great resource um, and encouraging uh, podcasts such as this one to get started. Um, Jamie and I are married. Uh, we are approaching um, our five-year anniversary as far as um, how long we have been a team. Uh, we've been married since 2017, February of 2017, so we're really, really excited about the time that we've had together thus far. Um, I am the true crime junkie in this household, and uh, Jamie actually um, has came into <laughs> being a, what did you call it earlier, Jay? It's like secondhand smoke. You, you get it whether you want it or not. <laughs> uh, he said that because I have made him sit and listen to so many true crime shows and podcasts, uh, that he himself has developed a, a liking for the uh, study itself as well. So, Like, anytime we watch... No copyright intended, but like if we watch 48 hours, if we watch CSI, we're both like looking at each other trying to figure out the episode before it actually gets to the ending or the conclusion. And we like to quiz ourselves on how close we get to what might actually be going on to what actually happens in the show. Kind of like the who did it. Yeah. The who did it challenge. And I have to uh, admit that Jamie has outsmarted me multiple times. Uh, figuring out what the scenario is going to be. And it's uh, really drives me crazy how he can um, get it, um, figure out who did it. 
Um, and I think I've done that to him a few times. He's been like, wow, how did you reach that? And I said, one too many true crime podcasts. Yeah, some of these things come to me. I, I get so lost because sometimes I'm no human lie detector, but sometimes I can tell when somebody is really being genuine and when they're just telling a story. <laughs> but sometimes I'm completely lost. Gotcha. Well, um, one of the things that a lot of people have asked me is why are you pursuing a uh, your degree at Grand Canyon for, you know, forensic psychology? What is what is it that interests you about that? And so to give you a little background, I'm just first of all, I have to say that my fascination for true crime originates from my mother. <laughs> at a young age, I would often sneak in my mom's room and she would have all these books and magazines and things like that. And, you know, of course, as a child, you want to, you know, look at all the pictures and see what it is that's going on. And um, so I really developed that um, investigative fascination as a child. Um, it definitely grew as I went to school, read books, you know, uh, there were several books that I really, really liked reading. I still do. Patricia Cornwell, or to this day, I like her. I still read a lot of her books. She's amazing. She's a great author. Um, television shows that I make Jamie watch that he hated originally. <laughs> uh, CSI. Um, of course, who doesn't love CSI? Yeah, I love all the CSIs. <laughs> Law and Order SVU. That one's a tough one for Jamie, but I really, really enjoy that one. Uh, Mariska Hargitay is like the love of my heart. Yeah, Even though it's a TV show, thinking that somebody had to go through that, that kind of cuts me to the core. Yeah, but you know, that's one of the things that I love about you, though, Jamie, is you are so empathetic, you know, and empathy is an amazing um, aspect when you think about true crime and when you can link empathy with the investigation, you know, because you kind of put yourself in the in the position or the place of either the, you know, the perpetrator or even the victim, you know, like, I know you and I, a lot of times we have our conversations about, you know, what made them do that? What made them be that way? You know, and that's really an empathetic question, you know, and can you put yourself in that person's shoes? And a lot of times, you know, I can honestly say that I can see myself in that person's shoes. You know, I can right. see why they did what they did. And sometimes, you know, even if the person did something really bad, if you know the situation or the experience, you can kind of see, well, okay, I can figure out why they did that. And then there are other cases where you really just don't know why the guy did that. Like something is seriously possibly wrong with that individual for them to even be able to carry out that act, much yeah. less do it to a human being. Absolutely. And so that's one of the things, you know, where psychology comes in at. And then adding in the element of forensic psychology to that, you know, that is really why um, I wanted to pursue, you know, this degree, um, you know, I want to be able to be, um, I want to be able to be in there and I want to be able to, you know, put together the pieces and I want to be able to, you know, look at it from that psychology standpoint and, and offer, you know, advice or offer, you know, right. support to. If you can pick out the pieces of that puzzle and fit it together, then everybody at the end of the day knows what happened. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, what we want to do is we want to just kind of educate um, our followers about what is forensic psychology and how does it, you know, uh, work in crime scene investigations? Why is it important? You know, um, 
so we're going to tell you a little bit about that okay so um as we talked about earlier i know that i said that i was involved in grand canyon um grand canyon offers a forensic psychology program typically i'll tell you your bachelor's programs last about four years um, then you go on and you pursue your master's, which is another two years. So it's typically a six-year program just for a master's in forensic psychology. Um, if you want to go on and pursue your doctorate, which is really, really important, and I hopefully plan on doing that as well. That's another four years on top of that. So Jamie lovingly says that I will be uh, in school as long as my um, eight-year-old. <laughs> Um, currently, our eight-year-old's going into the third grade. And they should graduate around the same time. <laughs> so he's going to have a dual graduation for me and um, our son. And so, um, but typically, you know, like I said, that program is about a six-year program for master's, 10-year for doctorate. And so there is a lot of time that's devoted into, you know, going to school, doing the research, being involved in the programs and you know, it's really something that um, you have to make a commitment to it. So, um, but anyway, so um, I'm going to tell you something that might strike uh, your uh, fascination or uh, spark some excitement. So, Jamie, do you remember the movie Silence of the Lambs? I do. You do. What do you remember about that movie? Uh, other than the Hannibal Lecter creeping me out and Buffalo Bill Skinner being a twisted individual, not a whole lot. <laughs> what about if I mention Jodie Foster playing Clarice oh, yes. Starling? Oh, yes. What was that oh, yes for? Well, because, you know, ordinarily you wouldn't picture a woman, especially a young woman, in that field. Uh-huh. So it wasn't your fascination and love of Jodie Foster that just perked that interest in you? I'm going to say no. Uh, plead the fifth, man. Plead the fifth. <laughs> so, but you do have a great point. She was one of the um, very first females, uh, female FBI students, you know, it, that became like a profiler. So a lot of people hear the word profiler and their ears perk up, you know, because profiling has become like the coolest thing ever, you know, um, shows like Mind Hunter and things like that. You know, everybody's like, oh, I want to be a profiler, you know, so. <laughs> but uh, she she's one of the examples that I want to use about what uh, forensic psychology looks like in play. Um, that's what she did. That's right. what she was. Yeah. So um, she was an FBI student. She was on the hunt for a serial killer, which we, you know, know to be Buffalo Bill. So um, it, what is what is this famous saying? Oh, it puts the lotion in the basket. Oh, what's he say to her? It puts the lotion on or it gets the hose? Or, yes, yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that doesn't scare you even when you're an adult. Nothing will. Uh, but basically what she does in the movie is she is encouraged by her mentor to start working with uh, a doctor, a brilliant psychiatrist who was named Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter was the brilliant psychiatrist, but he was also a cannibalistic serial killer doesn't that just fascinate you jay yeah <laughs> to each his own to each his own <laughs> um and also just wanted to point out lovingly you will hear me refer to him as jay um because we we do shorten jamie a lot because we uh, tend to yell his name quite a bit in our household so jay seems to get his attention so <laughs> but anyway like i was saying if you you hear the term criminal profiler, most people, you know, they perk up and they listen, especially, you know, if you're somebody that enjoys the true crimes and study a crime. Um, 
you know, a, a criminal profiler is a forensic psychologist, but the term forensic psychology, it really does cover so much more than profiling. Would you agree, Jamie? Oh, yes. I, I did a little study up on it because even though you're going to school for it, I didn't know jack about it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I have like, I hope you don't hear any paper, paper rustling, but I have like four or five pages that I've written down of stuff that I just did. I'm really know. impressed. I'm really <laughs> impressed, Jamie, by the work that you put into this podcast. So tell me a little bit about what you learned. Okay, so basically the word forensic originates from the Latin word forensics, which means the forum or the court system of ancient Rome. And then, of course, psychology, we know to be the study of the mind. So forensic psychology is basically the study of law and the study of the mind together. Very good. Very good. Great explanation. Anything else in there, your little notes there you want to tell us about? Well, I mean, I don't want to just read straight from the notes, but <laughs> like it's uh, forensic psychology is a subfield of psychology that involves the application of physical knowledge and methods to both civil and criminal legal questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in practice, it involves investigations, research studies, assessments, consultation, uh, implementation of treatment programs even and Mm -hmm. expert witness courtroom testimony gotcha kind of like what we hear in our court junkie podcast right yes Yes, you're exactly right um well let's go ahead and see if we can get a little bit more information about what forensic psychology is and how that it's important to crime investigation um one of the things that you know a lot of people have asked me uh, when did forensic psychology you know when did that come about you know, um, a lot of us that are involved in psychology, we know that Wilhelm Wundt, um, he was considered to be or is considered to be the father of psychology. Um, he actually um, began planting the seed of forensic psychology back in the 1880s. So, I would never know. yeah, so like 140 years ago, they began looking at the aspects of forensics with psychology. So that was really, really cool. The American Psychological Association or the APA it actually began to recognize the field of forensic psychology as a specialty in 1981. So you're looking 40 years there. So that's pretty awesome. Um, one thing I know that will pique your interest, Jamie, because you are a war um, expert, know all about all kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a retired Marine. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> we don't. We thank you for your service for sure. But, you know, um, for a long, long time, they've had forensic psychologists, you know, take the stand in, um, you know, to find out, you know, to kind of explain, you know, what maybe made this person do it? Kind of like that question that we ask, you know, what made them do it? But right. they really never consider them to be expert witnesses until after World War II. So that's pretty awesome. That's you know, that they, yeah. So they actually began using them in their trials and, you know, considered them, like I said, you know, to be um, expert witnesses. They, they use them in the defense. Right. Um, you know, so. That's kind of funny because even though the coin, the, the term wasn't coined yet, but like PTSD really started after World War II. Mm-hmm. You know, the guys that edited the trench warfare and they were bombed and they, you know, had witnessed such horrors on the battlefield that before then nobody had either experienced or lived to tell about. Right. And they probably didn't have a name for it. You know, they just, they, I know a lot of people were put in, you know, criminally insane, you know, homes and places like that because they really didn't have an explanation for yeah, what the, was happening. The sanitariums, I mean, uh, 
the term PTSD didn't exist. Uh, there was just a simple phrase, war is hell, mm-hmm. and, and that's all you got. Yeah, that's really sad if you go back and look at the dynamics of things like that. And so, but as far as the forensic psychi- uh, psychiatrists and psychologists, you know, uh, they did become the expert witnesses and they did pair with police officers. And you were educated or are educated in the human mind. You know, so this really does help them explain what type of person most likely committed a crime, uh, what type of background they likely had. Um, It really helped the the police department to narrow down their list of potential um, suspects. And that's pretty much where the profiling comes in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because they're able to set like a criteria based on, you know, what happened that we're possibly looking at this type of person in this type of age group, you know, that has this type of um, dynamic. dynamic. Yeah, right. Exactly. What kind of job even, you know, that they might be doing, you know, and so when you're the police department and you have this information of how you can narrow that stuff down, you know, that really does shorten that field and it really does give them something that they can focus on. Yeah, you're no longer looking for a needle in a haystack, you're looking for hay in a haystack. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't sound much more clear, but coming from a cop's perspective, it is. Absolutely. So the primary focus of the forensic psychologist is really just to protect the human rights and ensure the justice and, you know, definitely assess the well-being of the perpetrators and even the victims. A lot of people are not aware that forensic psychologists actually work with the victims. They're victim advocates. Um, they do various evaluations, assessments, and all that di- different type things. So um, the while they are in court, a forensic psychologist will help the court to address or shed light on the mental functioning of the patient. Um, we are actually going to be bringing an episode to you next week on Eileen Warnos. Um, she's considered to be the first uh, female serial killer in the U.S. Uh, actually, she's not the first serial killer, female serial killer, but she's the first one that was actually um, put through our judicial system. Right. So uh, ultimately, she was put to death for the murder of seven men. Uh, she was, um, you know, she was executed via lethal injection um, in in a Florida state prison. So we're going to go into more details about that. But when you mentioned, you know, about doing psychological testing and things like that, that was one thing that really stuck out with us about that Eileen Warner's case was that they brought in a psychiatrist to work with her to determine if she was mentally capable of being executed. Yeah, she got a stay of execution for exactly 15 minutes before the psychiatrist came back out and gave them the thumbs up. Yeah, 15 minutes. I don't know about you, but I don't do a whole lot of things in 15 minutes and certainly don't make any type of, um, you know, life-defining determination of whether someone's competent or not in 15 minutes. Yeah, I think it takes me longer than 15 minutes to make a uh, pan of macaroni. True. Yeah, I think about, yeah, exactly. So that, that was really sad, but we're going to talk to you more about that case next week, and we're going to tell you some really, really cool and interesting uh, facts that we were able to find while studying for that podcast. Um, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people have asked me is, you know, we actually live in Kentucky, and so we do have some really great criminal programs here locally. Uh, But where do you go to be a forensic psychologist? Well, honestly, you can go anywhere, you know. So uh, depending on what type of degree you have, you know, basically a a bachelor's degree is the beginning of of being able to uh, find a job, you know, to to use that that, um, 
degree. And right. so, um, because everything doesn't have to be FBI profiling. I mean, you can help with, uh, you know, troubled kids, mm-hmm. you know, troubled youth that gets in trouble. You know, if you could talk to a child and get them started down the right path to begin with, and they don't end up in juvenile hall, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a better way to go. And exactly. That's, yeah. That's a forensic psychologist. Absolutely. They, they are also involved in those programs. And exactly. You know, just like you were mentioning, you can be a victim advocate. You can be a court liaison. You can be a law enforcement officer, probation officer. You know, and that's just with a bachelor's degree. Right. You know, four years in. And so. some forensic psychologists, honestly, don't get paid to do anything except jury selection. Mm-hmm. True. True. And, because, you know, you have to do background checks on jurors and see what kind of people they are. And, you know, if they're prone to, you know, this attitude or that, then are they going to make a good person for the jury? Mm-hmm. They do a lot of background checks on people. Like you said, they, they even they look at personalities of yeah. these potential jurors, you know, which is really, really cool. And you probably don't even think about that when you're standing up there waiting to see if you're going to be selected for jury duty. They are considering so many things about you um, because you can actually, you know, develop an opinion before it's even time to have an opinion, you know, which can totally ruin a trial. Right. And, you know, not down in the news, but so many times the media can you know, skew people's opinion on whatever's happening you know, in different court cases or, you know, different high profile investigations before you ever even get to court. And so everybody's already decided this person's guilty before they know anything about them. Exactly, exactly. And we definitely, that's not fair, you know, to our justice system at all. But, you know, with a master's degree, um, you can be just as you mentioned, you can be a jury consultant, you can be a licensed professional clinical counselor, a juvenile offender counselor, or even a research assistant, which is really what I went into the program for initially. Right. Um, I did not want to counsel. No. That's not something that is, um, you know, in it's not something that my heart, you know, um, is invested in. I really want to do the study, the research, uh, uh, you know, put the data together on why someone does what they do you know, what were the circumstances involved? Because just like you and I were talking about last night, you know, you can have two people that have the same life, same, you know, um, things. Exactly. Same circumstances, um, abuse, you know, occurs. um, And you can, one of you could go on to be just a model citizen, you know, not have any issues, maybe a parking ticket here or there, you know, something normal like that. And then you can also on the flip side of that coin, you can have someone who becomes a murderer, you know, like Eileen Warnos, yeah, you know, completely short tempered, agitated, aggravated. Yeah. Just from the get go, you know, so what is it that made um, that switch flip, you know, in her life? And so, uh, but anyway, so a lot of people, um, you know, have also asked me the question, well, how much money are you going to make? You know, and somebody might be offended by somebody asking that question, but I'm not offended by much, honestly. Um, and so, you know, I'm really happy to just say, you know, um, starting out, you're looking about thirty-eight to $50,000 a year. You know, um, that's not a lot of money. Uh, you know, you do have the cost of living that's factored into that. So, you know, what I might make here in Kentucky versus where my daughter lives in Virginia, you know, um, the cost of living is completely different. You know, I might make $60,000, but you're more uh, advanced, um, long-term 
forensic psychologists, they typically make up to or over $100,000 a year. And that's a lot of money. It really is. But it's a hard field. I mean, when you think of everything that you have to do and all that you have to go through and ultimately everything you may be responsible for. Exactly. You are responsible for a lot of things, aren't you? Yes, because, yeah. you know, if, if it's up to you to, you know, figure out, you know, understanding certain behaviors, you know, what makes people behave aggressively, uh, why they have necessarily antisocial behaviors or what even makes them commit a crime. You know, if you give a wrong profile, then the officers are looking for the wrong suspect. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that has happened. You know, I'm sure when you know, this was being developed, you know, mistakes were made. If you go back and you watch the show Mindhunter, that was really the beginning of that. And it really does show you, honestly, where it got its start. So if you have access to Netflix, um, go out there and check out Mindhunter. It is a great series. Um, and you're going to see, you know, that it got started in the basement you know, of a building and it was like three or four people, you know, working in this, um, basically it was like a closet. It really wasn't even, you know, a room or a basement, you know, room for, you know, study. It was simply like a closet. Um, and so they weren't deemed or considered to be real, you know, investigators. And so um, they really went on to show them, you know, that they were yeah. uh, valid. Well, I mean, and I get it because, you know, being a you know, retired Marine, you automatically know this is what I know. This is what I can do. This is how I can contribute, you know, and not downing beat cops, but, you know, regular cops, regular officers are a whole lot like soldiers. You know, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to be ready for. But they're not necessarily trained for the mental side of it exactly exactly and i think that's why it just really flourished and took off you know because um you know and that's another thing that you and i've discussed you know outside of the podcast is you know when we've watched a lot of true crime cases and things like that on television did they consider the mental aspect of that you know uh, for example when you're watching your cops episodes um and you see the suspect that they have detained and clearly red flags are going off everywhere that that person has some psychological issues right there's mental illness happening there you know and if you have a police officer that doesn't have experience in dealing with psychological issues that person is not going to be able to handle that suspect yeah if they're basing the behavior that the suspect is exhibiting at face value and not looking under the surface then they're not going to know a prime example is i had an uncle arrested for driving they took him in and it wasn't a forensic psychologist it was just a nurse on call at the police department but she said let me check his sugar and his sugar had dropped his sugar was like Yeah, sugar was like 35. I think like, uh, you know, 100 is supposed to be like your regular sugar level. But his blood glucose was 35. So he wasn't drunk. He was was in a diabetic. His sugar was dropping. And, you know, he was slurring his speech. He was, you know, tired. He couldn't hardly hold his head up. They thought he was drunk. That was not the case. That's really sad. Really sad. And I bet, you know, I know that has to happen more often than we want to admit. You know, and so, you know, when we were in the beginning of, of me looking at this degree and what I might want to do with it. I know that we had talked about, you know, me looking at data and things like that, but um, being a mental health liaison, you know, for the law enforcement, 
um, you know, was another aspect of me going ahead and pursuing this degree in psychology and then adding on the forensic part of it. You know, maybe we need to have more of a system to where, you know, there is a mental health unit, you know, police department unit that works with, you know, assess the situation without automatically thinking, well, this person must be high or this person. Exactly. Yeah. What what other factors can be at play besides drugs or alcohol? Right. And and do you remember the one episode that we were watching where um, they did have a mental health unit and there was a a potential suicide jumper on the bridge? Yeah. And the guy went out there and just sat down. He just sat down beside of the guy. And the yeah, guy was he, like, what are you doing? He you took know? his gun belt off and everything and left it next to the car. He said, look, I'm not here to arrest you. I'm not here. I just I just want to know what's going on. Just yeah, I'm just here me. for you. Just talk you know? to me, buddy. Just talk to me. And the guy was like, you know, don't arrest me. Don't arrest me. And like 10 minutes in, you know, after the guy realized they weren't going to, he wasn't going to arrest him, he sat down on the ground, you know, next to the 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 suspect and he's just like, I just want to talk to you. He's like, have you eaten today? Do you want a sandwich? I was like, he's asking, does he want a sandwich? You know, like who does that? You know, cause you certainly don't see that. Yeah. I want to get met by that cop. Yeah. Seriously. It's like, you know, I'm just hangry, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just hangry. Just yeah. give me a sandwich. I'm good. And so it's like, you know, really that is so important. You know, where is the mental health, you know, aspect of, you know, our police departments, you know, maybe um, I can go on and use my forensic psychology degree to be a liaison, you know, that works with the police department, you know, things like that, you know, what you can use this degree for. And we're we're not naive. I know every situation is not going to be that way. Right. But, you know, every situation is not going guns blazing either. No. You you have to think about things. Right. And we don't work in that field. So we honestly, as, you know, chair cowboys cannot sit here and say that we know um, how it is because we don't. We have family that are in law enforcement um, and we know that they work really hard um, to do the things that they do. Um, But, you know, we're just a normal citizen sitting back looking and, you know, just taking um, just a minute to stop and and kind of evaluate the system. and so, you know, it's really important to do that. But we're going to take a break for a few minutes and introduce you to one of our newest sponsors. And we look forward to uh, talking with you again as soon as the break is over. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's Alicia from the No She Didn't podcast. Just wanting to thank our new podcast sponsor, H Estates LLC. H Estates LLC provides exclusive consulting, training, and handling for your canine companions. H Estates has been supplying top care for canines for nearly 10 years. Contact them today for a consultation by email at hopkinsestatesllc at gmail.com or you can check them out on Facebook at H Estates LLC. Thank you again, H Estates LLC for your continued support. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our sponsor uh, advertisement. And we definitely want to thank them for everything they're doing for us. Um, But we'll go ahead and get back on our uh, conversation about why forensic psychology is important in criminal investigations. Um, One of the things that I wanted to tell you guys about is there's actually uh, quite a few 
really well-known cases that forensic psychologists have actually been the ones to solve the cases and actually pick the perpetrator. Uh, one of those cases is the Ted Bundy case. Yes. That's a very well-known case. It's received a lot of attention lately. Um, there's even a show on Netflix about Ted Bundy. Um, so uh, also John Wayne Gacy, uh, the killer clown. Um, I don't know if you know much about that one, Jamie. I, I actually don't. Like I have seen like some older movies, but uh, offhand, I can't remember them that well at this moment. Gotcha. He actually was responsible for, uh, and don't hold the numbers exactly right because this is just offhand, but I believe it was 33 boys um, that were actually murdered by John Wayne Gacy. Many of them were actually found under his house, um, you know, buried underneath the house. Oh. Yeah. So, um, but they call him the killer clown because he actually used to dress up like a clown. Um, and, um, you know, he used to be involved in the community heavily, even politics. And so he was very well known in the community. Um, but, you know, he was just really a, a creepy dude for sure. Um, and also the Eileen Warnos case, um, as we made reference to that earlier, and she is actually um, a prostitute that actually turned murderer. Um, she had been prostituting since she was a young, young girl. Uh, we're going to give you more of the details of the case next week when we release that episode. But um, she actually murdered seven men in a one year period. And so she uh, really had a, an amazingly devastating life. Um, you know, I really am kind of at, at loss of words, you know, for that because we have been studying about her case. Um, and yeah, we don't so, want to give too much away because that is next week's episode, but it, it, it was it was hard to watch, hard to listen to, hard to research. Yeah. yeah so, um, but anyway, moving on to a, an even, you know, more information about forensic psychology. Um, a lot of people, you know, they're like, how can I find out more about forensic psychology? You know, because it sounds really cool, you know, what you're going to be doing. And so I tell them, you know, look at some books, read some books. And so um, I actually have some books that I want to tell you about that I think are really great. Um, forensic Psychology for Dummies is actually written by Professor David Cantor. Um, David Cantor is actually, he's one of the major profilers in the UK. Um, he actually is responsible for, you know, assisting in over 150 criminal investigations. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing man. Um, I actually just did purchase his book, Forensic for Dummies, and I got it through Amazon, and uh, it was a very reasonable cost. Um, it's, you know, got a lot of great details in it. I try not to pay that much attention to how many boxes are left on the porch. Hey, hey, <laughs> listen to him telling all my secrets right here in the beginning, but he's not lying. Um, <laughs> and I wonder how many of our listeners out there are actually guilty of hiding their Amazon boxes as well. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> so um, another great book about forensic psychology is actually called The Criminal. It's by Havelock Ellis. Another is Inside the Criminal Mind, that one's by Stanton Same Now. Um, the Psychology of Criminal Conduct, Theory, Research, and Practice by Ronald Blackburn. And Introduction to Forensic Psychology, that one is Research and Application. And that one was written by a married pair, which uh, we love because we married. Do everything, are married <laughs> and do everything together. Uh, that one is written by Curtis and Ann Bartol. 
And so all the books that I mentioned in this podcast are available on Amazon for purchase. So, but have the boxes from your husband. Hey, hey, hey now. <laughs> so, um, you know, now that we've discussed what a forensic psychologist does, we, um, you know, we really want to just let you know what we're going to be going into with our future podcast. We're going to be telling you about some cases that spark our interest. You know, we're not, they're going to be randomly selected cases. It's not going to be anything that we just, you know, are going by a list. Um, it's going to be ones that just kind of stuck with us and sparked our interest. And we hope it will spark your interest as well. Um, but we want to give you the spin of forensic psychology and, you know, what were they able to do in the case? Yeah, and, and that's that's part of it. But we really want to do cases where you know forensic psychology really helped like turn the tide or help them figure out what was going on. But you know, some cases there may not have been any forensic psychology included, and you know we'll kind of talk about how could those cases have benefited from forensic psychology. Absolutely, because we feel like you know that this is such a detrimental addition to that crime solving team you know, to have a forensic psychologist involved, you know, what could they have done? Just like Jamie mentioned, you know, um, if, if there wasn't a forensic psychologist involved, what could they have done? You know, and um, while we are discussing these things and kind of telling you about the cases, we also just want to say to you that, you know, we're new. This is our actual very first attempt at doing anything like this. Um, And so we are definitely novices uh, in the podcast um, world. Uh, We do, so much want your feedback you know if it's good or bad or you know whatever it may be we want to know what you enjoyed what you didn't enjoy um we do know that this first podcast that we're going to be releasing is going to sound different than our future podcast because we are investing in a microphone system that's actually going to sound better Uh, so in this first episode that we're releasing it may sound a little glitchy yeah currently we are both just talking to the laptop hoping that it's translating our voices the way we want it to. <laughs> no guarantees here. Yeah, but, you know, the the definite, uh, the heart is in it. So, and if the heart is in it, what can go wrong, right? right. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, Jamie and I just want to take that time and just to say thank you for, you know, listening. And, and being, you know, part of this process. And we're, we're not allergic to criticism. Anything you need to say. Anything you want to know, don't want to know, want to hear, don't want to hear, let us know. Because if we can't make this better, we're not going to listen. And if we're doing things that are right, we don't want to change it. So we need to know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you like and what you don't. So, yeah, don't don't be scared to holler at us. Let, let us know what's going on. A lot of time has really already been put into this first um, episode and uh, bringing it to you and um, you know it's with heartfelt uh, happiness that we want to say that we're going to get ready to release this episode really really soon and uh, thank you so much and definitely stay tuned we're going to be releasing um, our episodes by midnight on Thursday evening so it'll be available for you first thing Friday morning when you wake up and you get your day started so whether you're going to work out in the gym uh, going to go grocery shopping, uh, listen at work, uh, on the way to work, or whatever. Or if you're still trapped at home due to COVID-19. Oh, COVID-19. <laughs> so let's not even mention that at the moment. Uh, but definitely, uh, we want to be with you. And so we want to be a part of your day. And so we want to say goodbye. And uh, definitely look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, just goodbye for now. Goodbye.